Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I am Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Division Chair of Clinical Microbiology and the Vice Chair of Education for the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Robin Battelle, the immediate past Division Chair of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic and the current President of the American American Society for Microbiology. As our listeners may know, I recently took on the role of division chair from Dr. Patel, and I now have very big shoes to fill. So it's a real pleasure for me to have Dr. Patel on our show today. Thank you for being here with us, Dr. Patel. Thank you, Dr. Pritt. It's my pleasure to be here. So you were the division chair of clinical microbiology at the time that the COVID-19 pandemic began. How did COVID-19 affect you in that role? Well, Dr. Pritt, it affected me in many ways. I can talk briefly about um, how we anticipated what was likely to happen and then really got ready to try to deal with what would transpire thereafter. The division for many, many years had what's called a pandemic plan. I think a lot of groups do. And so one of the first steps was to dust off if you will, that pandemic plan, and look at it in the context of what might happen, uh, as well as to make sure, of course, that it was up to date. We uh, knew what was happening in China, and our clinical practice is quite international, and so we anticipated that it was likely that this virus was going to affect us very early on uh, in 2020. And uh, there were a number of thoughts and considerations that came to mind uh, as uh, we contemplated what was then going to be our future. One of them uh, is supply chain shortages. We know that in the laboratory, we're very susceptible to supply chain shortages. We start off from a position of having a very tight supply chain that occasionally uh, becomes compromised, but in the face of a pandemic was highly likely to become compromised. And so we began thinking about potential issues with supply chain uh, early on. And then of course, we needed an assay to develop this virus. And one of my roles as chairs was to prioritize that development. It's always risky when you develop an assay too early on if uh, an organism never arrives where you are and you never have any reason to run an assay, but in the face of what was happening across the world, we really looked at it and decided that we needed to develop an assay for our practice very early on. Of course, that was challenging because uh, we didn't necessarily have access to all the materials we might need to develop an assay. We certainly have the skill set amongst our, our wonderful staff to be able to do it but there were several barriers along the way, but still uh, in a leadership position, it was my role really to, to push for uh, making that assay possible and to prioritize that development process ahead of other things that were ongoing at the time. And then finally, staff safety was really front of mind. You know, looking at what was happening with this virus and what continues to happen with this virus, a lot of people today, as we know, are working from home uh, but those of us who work in the laboratory are really uh, healthcare workers. We're maybe not thought about as being quote unquote frontline healthcare workers, but really we are as we understand the value of testing through uh, this pandemic. And so because we need to be at work and, and need to do the testing that we're running, thinking about the safety of our staff 
and how to make sure that we keep people uh, safe in handling the specimens that they're handling, but also in working alongside other staff was uh, very much, you know, something I was thinking about day by day as division chair. Yeah, there was certainly a lot going on. And of course, it seemed to change every day. We were learning more. So I know that your plans must have had to be constantly readjusted. So thank you for leading us on that. Yeah, that's, that's right. I mean, I think even today, uh, the situation changes day by day, right? But when you reflect mm -hmm. back on the past and the early days, even the time before this was really recognized um, as the issue it would become, anticipating what might happen is certainly the role of a leader and then putting in place processes to deal with what might transpire was very important. Yeah, we're fortunate to have the testing that we need to care for our patients at Mayo Clinic. And uh, that's just because we have a wonderful staff that was uh, capable of developing and bringing on the testing that's needed in a very timely manner. Of course, uh, that required a lot of uh, institutional support to make that happen as well. Well, all of your planning and hard work really came together and with the staff it was an incredible team, and now we're doing more than 10,000 tests a day just for PCR for SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. So that's just amazing, just thinking back of where we were just a couple months ago. This was not the only leadership role, though, that you held at this time. Before you stepped down as division chair, of course, you were division chair for quite some time, but then you took on this additional role as president of the American Society for Microbiology. So how did COVID-19 impact this society? that we call ASM? That is a different question, Dr. Pritt, than, than being chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology, being a leader of one of the largest life sciences societies in the world, and a microbiology society at that during a pandemic uh, meant uh, a lot of action and a lot of changes in terms of the role of president. For one thing, because we are a microbiology society, getting education out there about what was happening, and as you know, as you mentioned, that changed a lot over time, day by day, it still continues to change, was very important. And so I have spent a lot of my time talking to the media uh, pretty much every day, sometimes several times a day. Uh, also, interestingly, educating other societies who aren't microbiology societies, but are trying to understand what SARS-CoV-2 means for their society, for example, for meetings uh, and so forth. And also just educating on many, many webinars for many, many groups who had questions along the way. We realized that there was a need to get factual information out there on SARS-CoV-2. So very early on uh, in March, we convened an international summit that looked at uh, COVID-19 in terms of diagnosis, in terms of vaccination, and in terms of treatment. This is a long time ago now, right, uh, in, at the rate that we're moving. Uh, but that summit led to a couple of things. First, it was publicly available. But secondly, it, it uh, led to a report in MBIO on the value of diagnostic testing that looked at the value of RNA testing as well as the value of serologic testing. You know, these are things we think about every day now, not just we microbiologists, but we, everyone pretty much mm -hmm. on the face of the earth. And so uh, the American Society for Microbiology felt 
it was important to get a document out there about what the value might be, where these kinds of tests could be useful and not useful. I also had the opportunity to represent the American Society for Microbiology on the Infectious Diseases Society of America uh, guidelines for the diagnosis of COVID-19 group. And uh, we met every single day, weekends, weekdays, and put together a set of guidelines in a little over two weeks, an activity that typically takes at least six months, typically about a year to do. It, it was an amazing uh, process to, to go through at that speed. We also, from an ASM standpoint, have put together a COVID-19 research registry. Uh, this was launched on April 15th, and it was in response to uh, the findings of our international uh, summit. And what this does is it, it highlights publications on the topic, which as you know, are coming out fast and furiously and uh, provides a critique and analysis of those publications as well from expert virologists. Another role that I've uh, assumed as part of the American Society for Microbiology to a larger extent now than previously is that of advocacy. As the situation has changed again day by day, as you mentioned, uh, we have in amongst our members clinical microbiologists, people like yourselves who are running diagnostic tests and who needed to uh, run diagnostic tests for SARS-CoV-2. Bringing on tests at the speed at which we've had to bring them on has uh, raised practical as well as regulatory issues. And so uh, an important role of a society is that of advocacy to the government, to the FDA, to the CDC, to the NIH. And we worked also very closely with the White House Task Force uh, so that our members can have their needs served in the way they need them served to serve the public in this pandemic. Well, thank you for your leadership in those areas. I mean, that's incredible what you were able to pull together in such a short period of time. Of course, it happened by working all the time and evenings and weekends. I use those IDSA guidelines every day now. I would say they're an incredible resource for everyone, as well as the research uh, protocols and resources that are out there. Now, you have another leadership role within our department here at Mayo that also has to do with COVID-19. Um, and that is, I heard that our department chair, Dr. Bill Maurice, asked you to lead a COVID-19 biospecimens group for Mayo Clinic. What does this group do? Well, thanks for that question, uh, Dr. Pritt. Mayo Clinic has a lot of activity going on in research for COVID-19. And uh, that includes looking at new therapeutics that you might have heard about, uh, as well as analyzing diagnostics uh, and looking at data that is coming out on COVID-19. But key to uh, performing research on this virus is access to specimens. And uh, Dr. Maurice, the chair of Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Rochester uh, Mayo Clinic, asked me to help out uh, with the COVID-19 biospecimens group. And that's the group that looks at um, retaining uh, biospecimens for research purposes for COVID-19. There's a lot of collection that's going on with informed consent, of course, from patients who are infected with this virus to look at their specimens and try to understand what's happening with the virus, why certain people get more sick than others, um, what the time course of infection looks like, what the complications of infection look like, 
Uh, there are many, many research questions that can be asked, but a lot of them are contingent on access to good specimens. And so making sure that the right specimens are collected, that the specimens are kept in the right way so that those research studies can be done, and also that the specimens are allocated for the right research project, because you might imagine we have lots of different researchers wanting to do lots of different studies is very important. And so I am I and really the team that's working with me is helping out in uh, those activities. Well, thank you, Dr. Patel. There's a lot going on. We really appreciate your leadership and all of your efforts during this time. Thank you, Dr. Pritt. It's my pleasure to be here today. Thank you all so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday. Also, please join us for our special COVID-19 town hall called the latest in COVID-19 testing, featuring a live question and answer session on June 9th from 2 to 3.30 Central Time. The registration link will be included at the bottom of the show notes under resources.